0: This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au.
1: Welcome to a new Media Week Podcast. We're talking television today, more importantly, the business of television. Um, Got a couple of special guests. It's sort of the end of the first quarter of TV for 2019. We'll be going to reviewing how it's all gone. Um, From the coalface, we've got Michael Stevenson, Nine's Chief Sales Officer, Welcome, uh, Michael. You've got us starting with a smile on your face. So,
0: <laughs> oh, thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> so so you, you've had a good start. We'll find out how good. And helping me grill Michael, I guess, is um, the National Chief Investment Officer for OMD. Melissa, Hay. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks,
2: James. I you, never grill Michael, by the way. <laughs>
1: <either>. <laughs> now, you spend a fair bit of money on television. Um, can you give me... OMD or, or, is actually uh, the
2: biggest advertiser, spender on TV. Oh, really? Okay, yes.
1: well, that's interesting. So, as the, the agency, sorry, yeah, yeah, and if we put it in figures, would we talking millions, billions in in your total ad spend? What would you just sort of be investing in media? Omg, yeah, it's
2: probably just over a billion in ad spend. Okay, across the group, across wow. all our, um, our markets.
1: Yeah, and um, a reasonable amount of that, probably in nine, if you're investing wisely in the first quarter.
2: I think we have been investing wisely in the first quarter.
1: <laughs> yep. Okay. Michael, let, let, let's um, talk about that Q1. Now, you've been building – when Hugh Marks came on board, he was very upfront about saying, look, we've been performing badly in the first quarter every year. It's a, it's a space seven was dominating with My Kitchen Rules – um, you identified a property which was married at first sight. Stop me if I get any of this wrong. And um, that's gradually built. I mean, you did very well last year, but this year just really taken off.
0: Yeah, I mean, three, just a little bit over three years ago when Hugh, Hugh joined Nine and, um, you know, he sat with me and said, Michael, from a, from a sales perspective, what, what can I do to, to help you? And I think there was, there was two things that, that I spoke to Hugh about. One was um, having the entire business focused on the demographics so, 1639, 2554, and grocery buyers with children back in the day. Um, and the second thing was, we've got to start the year stronger. So, you know, to his absolute credit and that of Michael Healy and, and Adrian Swift and the rest of the, the content guys at nine, we supercharged Married at First Sight. Um, and I think history will tell that that was an excellent decision. It obviously has gone from strength to strength. And of course, this year, I think, from our perspective, is the culmination of of three years of hard work and planning. Um, to get to a point where Married at First Sight could launch off the back of the Australian Open, I don't think there's a better promotional platform on television uh, to launch a year than than the Australian Open. And of course, this year was a was an outstanding success for us, and has all contributed to to where we you know where we are today, which is at the end of the first quarter. We've had our best start to a television year since OzTam ratings began. So it is with that data. It's a record. It's an outstanding start. We've got incredible momentum. You know, we've delivered against 2554s, which I think is the, the major success metric for any of us. We're a 43% share of, of that target audience. Um, we're growing our audiences in the demos and we're offers, offering great value to advertisers. There's a, a sense of surety and consistency about our schedule and about our delivery. Um, and advertisers are, are coming to us for, for that surety of delivery in terms of their campaign. So it's been a really great start.
1: If I could just ask you on that is the have you had a big payday, or does your big payday come next year when you sell off what you've done this year?
0: So one of the benefits of of starting the year strongly, obviously, is you get to use those ratings almost twice, if you like. So in certainly in January and February, for most part, media buyers will use the same time last year to to buy schedules. Of course, they don't know what any of the network's performance will be in that period as they enter into a new year. So, the first, the first use of your ratings is you get to use the previous year's ratings to buy this year's schedule, and of course, if you're rating well in that period, when you when people are planning and buying into March, April, and beyond, they're generally using the last four weeks. Mm-hmm. So a good start is a good start is critical. You can't you can't underestimate that, and it's been a part of our strategy. Um, we've delivered on it, and I think it's ad- adding great value to our agency partners and and clients alike. So yeah, Melissa, do you?
1: Th- How much of the Australian Open do you think um, built the Married at First Sight audience? Did it help a little bit? Did it help a lot? I think it plays a
2: big role for launching, but I think also the PR that Married at First Sight had started right actually at the end of last year, I would argue, started the discussion and just the AO then helps push it further and sort of acknowledges the time and when it's going to air but it definitely is a platform that benefits.
1: So I guess the growth of Nine at the start of the year is probably a, a, a trend that's been underway for quite a while. Um, is that something we see that a, a franchise like MKR has been 10 years, um, it maybe reaches a little bit of saturation point with the audience, they look for something else? Is, is that something to do with it? And we see those trends often?
2: I think, yes, you do see the trends. You, I mean, MKR has performed really well over multiple years and it sort of does get to a point where people are looking for new new content, new, new things. And I just think Married at First Sight is completely different to anything else that's on out there as well. And it feels that MKR... Also, the talent that they've put on there, I would say, probably hasn't been as engaging as what it has been in other years. So people will sort of pick at the beginning once they've sort of seen the start between the content. And at the moment, it's it's more along the Married at First sight scandal versus the cooking scandal.
1: My amateur analysis of TV ratings leads me to believe that it's very hard to change an audience's habits. If they, if they either like something or don't like it, it's quite rare to see the numbers jump up mid-season or alternatively to fall off mid-season for a show that has got the sort of...
2: Depends on the demographic, I would argue. So okay. you've got the older end that probably do a set in their ways and probably do follow their programs and stick with it. But I would argue that younger demographics sort of come in and pick and choose based upon... What is out there on the content at the time versus following a franchise day in day out?
0: But so I, th- I think what you know as, as we create content and distribute that content across multiple platforms. So think live linear television and and of course BVOD within Nine Now or 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 um, Ten Play or Seven Plus. It allows. I think when you the 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 behavior of consumers is changing. Whereby I think when you've got multiple major formats on television, like we do, throughout most of the year on seven, nine, and ten, consumers will choose their go to show, and that's they'll primarily watch that live. Um, and then alternatively, they'll then catch up or watch the, their alternate program on demand. And those altern- the, the primary and the alternate program will change over time, depending on what's on air and what's on each of the networks. And of course, what, to Mel's point, which target they're target um, targeting or, or, or aggregating audiences around. But I think because we've invested in this technology, it's now giving consumers more choice than ever before. And they're watching more... Um, television content or video content than they ever have. It's just across definitely, multiple yeah, platforms. Definitely
2: watching more content. You can see it in the not just the linear TV, but the, all the BVOD content and the numbers coming through there. Look, across MKR's grown there and Married at First Sight, they've both actually been really strong in growth.
1: I should ask you this now before I forget. So when you you're getting those extra audiences, do you factor that in? In your initial buying decisions, or has it been a bit of a bonus in the past, or is it part of the the conscious buy now? Well, it's curren- not a bonus.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, at the moment, currently, it's you, the live streaming isn't really measured. There is a measurement there, but it's not the same as counting tarps. So the delivery and the guarantee currently is on linear. You're sort of going to, I guess, a different on BVOD. It's set up differently, and you're buying the pre rolls, the streaming everybody's talking about swapping out and selling it as an addition and it's an additional audience I and mean, that's what we're currently working through on how you actually build that into a reach. But at the moment, it's a straight incremental number added on to your linear TV.
1: Steve, I should ask you too, the what's Nine's internal sort of research or or attitude about how big a impact the Australian Open had on Married this year?
0: Oh, I think the the numbers tell the story. Um, you know, we've had we had record numbers of of Australians um, aggregating, whether it be live on demand or via a live stream for the Australian Open, and we've had record audiences watching uh, Married at First Sight, and the flow on impact that that has through the rest of the schedule. Whether that's a news product, um, whether that's a, whether that's a current affair, whether that's travel guides, uh, Bad Mothers or 60 Minutes have all had their strongest start ever. Um, to the to the to the Austam ratings, yeah. So, I think the the proof's in the pudding. Create great content and make it available across every platform,
1: and you will aggregate audiences around that content. One of the things that happens when you have a a piece of content so hot as Married at First Sight, it really gets put under the blowtorch. Everybody looks at it. It's examined. It's written about ad nauseum, and and it brings its own challenges, I guess, with that. Um, for example, some of the content was seen as maybe a little bit too racy. Your chief executive sort of spoke to, to that with me a little while ago when we were talking probably back in February saying, yeah, look, we have had chats about the, you know, the, the tone of the show and we want it to be plain to the audience that it is about love. Uh, is that – how did that – was there any sort of effect on sales or did you get any feedback from any advertisers?
0: Yeah, I mean – you know, at its at its absolute core, Married at First Sight is a social a social experiment. The the couples there are genuinely looking looking to find to find love, and you know, within this series, uh, um, Jules and Cam they did, and that's um, I think testament to the to the fundamentals of the show. Of course, the show creates drama and controversy and creates a social currency. It's one of the reasons why it was so successful. Um Hugh's absolutely right, you know, Hugh and Michael and the team are conscious of all times around the tonality of shows and and you know making sure that the show is is right from right in terms of tone for the time slot that it's that it's on air and I think the guys did a great job of of capturing the drama whilst also making sure that it was appropriate for for viewers. From an advertising point of view, you know, we started the we started the series with four partners, we ended with six. <laughs> It's almost unheard of that during a series you'll find new partners and sponsors onto a format, and we had a record number of spot buyers again coming into the format because they wanted to take advantage of the audience
2: yeah, I that we were delivering. If, uh, clients, if they're they're either going to go in it, so you sort of know that it is a social experiment. You know what's going to happen. It can go to an extreme, but if the clients actually agreed that they're going in the program, and as if They're there, they know that these things can happen because it's actually all set up front that that's that type of program. And if a client doesn't want to be associated with that, they sort of set out up front that they're not going to be.
1: Is that part of the agency's role? If you had a client that you thought might be uneasy Correct. with some of the content, you would alert them Correct. beforehand and, and, and advise could, them one yeah, way or the other? It's
2: the same on sort of a lot of those um, programs. You've got Love Island coming up, which is another one, which really is a strong audience. And so you you have clients in that may not want to be associated or near that type of content and you've got to actually let them know and it's a choice of whether they're going for the ratings and the reach that it can deliver because they're really – I mean, Married at First Sight is the number one show, so they have to agree to walk away from that and that's the discussion you have with them.
1: Do you, when do you lock in, do you, have you already been thinking about, you know, next year's married and and, and what you want to do or is it too soon for things like that?
2: Uh, From a just a buying perspective, I would say it's too soon, not really knowing what um, where clients are at on their campaigns for next year. However, from a standpoint of if you wanted to look at sponsor, you, you should be starting to, you could think about it now and you could start conversations now, but that's for that pure integration play and you could even start then leading up to be associated with it, all the promos. So, yeah, from a sponsor, yes, but from sort of buying, no.
1: Melissa, if you take Married at First Sight out of the equation, how does Nine stack up um, against against the opposition with with what it's been doing in Q1?
2: I think, as per all the, both the other networks, they've had declines around besides the Married at First Sight, and Steve is looking at me. <laughs> Uh, but it's no, it's no more than where the others have also declined as well, and the others have actually had in their major shows decline. So their decline is a, a lot more than um, nines because nine actually on people twenty five fifty four. It's actually just above year on year. So, so that would be gro- That would be growing, not <laughs> growing. declining then. <laughs> but if you took out married at first sight, and I would even argue, um, AOs obviously plays a big role, and you took those two big juggernauts out, there would be some decline in there but no more than
1: the others. Right, right. The But, it. I mean, the, the, there was a flow on effect, I think, of things like travel guides, which did its best numbers ever, um, obviously in a good spot with the audience flowing out of um, Married. 60 Minutes had some amazing numbers, um, although we did see it drop back significantly without... When it moved, ironically, to an earlier time slot on the weekend, but yeah, having, I mean, different-
0: having a promotional platform like the Australian Open or like Married at First Sight <clears throat> allows viewers to flow vertically through your schedule, and that's that's the strategy and that's the plan, and that's exactly what it did. You know, for for the record, as I mentioned earlier on, we're a forty-three percent share of twenty-five fifty-fours for the first quarter, and our audience in, to- in pure thousands grew by grew by one percent. So you know, we are we're focused on delivering. Thousands of growth for advertisers because that's ultimately what they buy. Um, and now in in a world where we're where we're um, uh, where our content is being seen across multiple platforms, we're distributing it across multiple platforms. You look at the live streaming numbers. I think for the final of Married at First Sight was seventy thousand people live streaming via connected television. That's a significant number. And then the VPN number of of um, shows on demand. I think episode one's up to about four hundred and eighty thousand yeah. viewers. So. Looking at it myopically through the lens of linear TV um, is is not the way of the future. It's not even the way of today. Live linear plus live streaming plus on demand, the aggregate of that audience um, is astounding and it's greater than, greater than we've ever seen before. There are more people watching that content, whether it's on 7, 9 or 10, um, than there have been. And I reckon that's great for advertisers. It's great for Mel. Um and it's great for consumers as they're given that choice. It's a great time to be around doing this.
2: The BVOD numbers for Married at First Sight and some episodes added over 20% audience. Mm. So it's it's definitely growing in that space and strong. Yeah,
1: and that's only ever going to get stronger, isn't it, I guess. The TV's had a strategy the last few years of really investing heavily at 7.30, running that show as long as possible and then doing the best they can for the rest of the night. Now, it seems to me that sort of on demand has helped justify that strategy, whether it was intentional or not. I think but, the strategy
2: but, actually starts at six.
1: Well yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for for a couple of them. <laughs> for its um, for, for for nine, nine and seven ten's obviously had its challenges and it's still working working through, you know, the model that would work of, of going, yeah, yeah, but I guess a lot of people overlook the news and a current affair, don't they? And and home and away, which is still a strong product. Yeah. But, but b- and because consistent. they're always there, they're
2: always consistent. That's yeah. the, on all of those. The consistent delivers of numbers. It's um, which makes them really strong.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And still doing close to a million for Metro for um, for both those those news broadcasters. But but that that reliance on that seven thirty is that. Is that okay? Would Would you like to see more money tipped into other time slots to to help sort of lift audiences, or do you think it's probably it's been a reasonable sort of strategy?
2: I I think it would be nice to lift it in other areas, but I, that's going to be tough because you can see as well on all streaming services, not just Bevod or Catch Up, that sort of time frame that later night is when people choose to switch or would you go over to watching a different product in and a selective one more so than just a free-to-air network. So I understand why it has been focused at 7.30 and that's where the greater numbers are. It, I would like to see something happen from that 9 to 10.30 where you could actually hold audiences because that's probably where we're seeing the greatest decline, but I think it's going to be tough.
0: Because I would add to that, that it's, I mean, that, that hasn't been our entire strategy by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, we spend a billion dollars a year on creating local Australian content. Of course, um, we start the year with Married at First Sight, which, um, you know, goes for the first, largely the first quarter, eight or 10 weeks or 12 weeks. And then we go straight into Lego Masters. So there's um, there's only eight episodes of Lego Masters. So it's a condensed series, Into the Voice, which again goes over, um, you know, seven or eight weeks. And then you go into Ninja Warrior, again, shorter run before you go into the block. So there's a mix, of, there's a light and shade, if you like, between long format, multiple weeks, and much shorter runs, but all of local Australian content, that's all family-focused at 7.30. And that creates your spine of, of content and audience and delivery largely for the entire year. The lead into that, of course, is news, and off the back of that, you can invest into your 8.30 content. So things like, that's travel guides or your gen or Australian drama. There's a lot of really interesting, um, unique and different content that's coming into everyone's schedules at 8:30. And then the the you know the the, the content that we buy um, from the US studios, things like New Amsterdam would be a good example, comes in at 9:30 to deliver the remainder of your schedule. So, I think there's a lot more color and shade in everyone's um, primetime schedules um, than kind of I think it looks like when you first if you're only fo- if you were only looking at through the lens of 7:30 product.
2: Yeah, cool. and I think though that's my point on the sort of viewing habits, just as a consumer, what they change as it gets later versus um, being all family focused or sitting in front of the TV as a social, I guess, gathering more so. And it's it's been like that forever. Like that time slot from six till eight thirty has always been the biggest numbers. That that's no different. It's um so, and then the investment post eight thirty, it has it's. Change and but I would argue I think uh, all three networks are investing way more in drama than I've seen for a long time. All of them producing local drama. It's just the numbers and consumer habits that later on those thousands, it's hard to hold them because also drama seems to be a product that people choose to watch at their own time at their own pace. So it's Bvod makes sense for them. When yeah, well, those
1: catch up numbers are justifying the drama spend, aren't they? Cause oh. you, you wouldn't do it without it. But it but it seems to make it work. Steve, when when nine presumably you and your team have an input to programming and you, you talk about what you could monetize, when and, and and how, is is it still do you still see potential there to, to do better later in the night? Would you like to see audiences hang around a bit a bit longer or do you think we're at it's not gonna change?
0: Oh, no, I'm way more optimistic than that. Yeah. I, you know, we you cr- invest and create great Australian content, make sure it's available across every platform. Selfishly, from my perspective, can brands integrate and tell their stories within and around the content that we create? And, you know, I think we've proven time and time again, if you create good content and there's good stories within that, um, it can capture the attention of of the Australian consumer and you can aggregate audiences, now, of course, no one has limitless budget, so you've got to be able to spend, you know, your content budget in the most efficient and most effective way. Um we try to we try to do that day in, day out, and we try to produce as much content as we can um from the from the first of January to the thirty-first of December within the budgets that we have. But the time slot is less relevant to the type of content that you want to create, I believe.
1: Mm. Mel, the the start for the year that Seven had, and we we'll also mention Ten, I guess, is how much did Mary impact on what the sort of sales they were able to write? Would would the – would was Seven already losing some revenue before MKR started this year?
2: So I think Seven, yes, possibly were definitely probably a bit behind because they didn't have the AO this year and the cricket – it went in and the numbers were good on what they were predicting because they had actually, it wasn't the same year on year because it was actually being simulcast on Foxtel. So the numbers were there but they weren't anywhere near where they have been previously and they weren't near where the AO was so they didn't have the same launch pad to lift off for MKR. People though, um, I would argue at that stage, wouldn't from a buyer's perspective... We, we didn't know. So we, like Steve-O said, we would have been using same time last year for Feb and going on MKR sort of delivering similar numbers and Married at First Sight delivering similar numbers. It wasn't till you actually got into it that you saw the decline on MKR and the increase on MAFs, which then you probably started factoring it in probably not
1: till March onwards. And. Talk to me about numbers that matter when we look at ratings. I mean, you talk about, lots of people talk about winning the night and there's lots of ways you can win the night. You can- Anyone win- can
2: frame a win, I would argue. That's right. You. you can
1: win the demos, you can w- win the time slots. But but I guess it, just an, an analysis on all people winning the night, I'm pretty sure n- n- seven of one most nights that married at first sight wasn't on.
2: On total people? Yeah. 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 But- if you Does married at first site back in yeah, of we, total people doesn't matter to us. Right. I don't have one client that buys total people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, people twenty five fifty four is the metric that you go on and you look at all the numbers and you go through and sort of make and see what it's delivering on people twenty five fifty
1: four. Seven used to sort of sell on that, didn't they? Even as reasonably as quite recently, they talk about well, if you win all people, you usually swept along. And you win a lot of the demos too. And they like to quote their combined channel share as opposed to nine, which I think like to quote their primary figures as well as what they're doing on their... their. As
2: we said, anyone can sort of cut the numbers to make it sound... win, And that was where seven went because that was a sure thing for them on total people. Uh, You could say 10 also cut it in ways that worked for them. They used to cut sort of on 18 to 49 post 7.30 type or seven o'clock to help their numbers look stronger. So people cut the numbers, but from a agency's perspective, we have to look at it based upon what our clients are buying against. So they buy a demographic, so that's for one area we'll look at. If they're buying higher peak percentage on main channel, that's a focus for us. So it all comes down to on what the actual client is buying and it, and we always do sort of do a demographic. And if we're doing a broad stroke, we would look at uh, peak people 25
1: 54. Yeah, before I let you loose on this one, Steve, I just want to ask you about about 10 Melissa. Um, 10 in, in the in the you know the the all people numbers are there, they're not great, lots of not many shares are pushing into double figures, but they do have the odd standout program that ranks. And they say they're all about under fifty now. Yep. That they, you know, they're reasonably competitive. Is that enough to keep the the cash register ticking over for them?
2: They will need a bit of a kick in, and I think it's coming with uh, MasterChef. So if we had a, probably kept seeing Sunday night takeaway in there and not having MasterChef come in, I think there would have been concerns on how they're actually going to sort of pull back the decline. But with MasterChef coming through, and there's programs like you said that are performing. Like Gogglebox is actually performing quite well on those under fifties, and even to a degree. Whilst it's not like the top rating, Dancing with the Stars is still doing numbers that sort of is keeping them in the game. So it's important that they sort of they need a couple more in there, and I think that's where MasterChef is actually going to help them. They do need to, and the project for me is one, it's a, it's a good show that needs to be probably a bit more consistent and being able to maintain. I know it's never going to be up to the numbers with the news or current affair or home in a way, but you need some consistency in there from that. And I can see that there's pushing that more as um, a consistent program, which I think just for their marketing will help because they haven't actually done that before.
1: They've rolled the dice a little bit this year with some, some bold sort of initiatives if you like. And you mentioned, I think Sunday Night Takeaway. Mm-hmm. Would would an advertiser go in and just say, look, we'll, we'll use this as a bit of a test, see how we go? Yes,
2: I, and um, I think they should. I think otherwise we're not going to get new program coming to the fore and it, you need to give it a chance and that one didn't make it but you needed to give it a chance. It was an opportunity for integration. They guarantee an audience. It's up to them to fulfil that audience and if they can't fulfil it in the show, they have to make sure that they're fulfilling it other ways and that's like... Um, any sort of program that you're a sponsor on. And yeah, I believe advertise if it's a right fit and you can get the right value back for what they want um, for the business, I think you do need to give these new programs a go.
1: Steve-O, what are the numbers that matter to nine? What should we be looking at? <clears throat> so as I mentioned earlier on, we we focus
0: on 2554 as a as broad measure of success. And what is our share of audience from open to close across four channels from the 1st of January to the 31st of December? And are we growing our audience year on year in thousands? Because that's what advertisers, advertisers buy from us. So if I'm looking at it through the lens of an audience profile, that's what it is. Um, of course, you know, Hugh would look at our sales performance and, and look at, you know, can we generate a share of revenue that's greater than that share of audience? And that's sort of our internal measure of success. And that's what that's what I'm that's what I'm focused on.
1: We're speaking in what's called a non-ratings period, sort of the Easter break, survey's not on. Does survey matter anymore? Does
0: I haven't used the word for God knows yeah. how many years. Like as, from the first of January to the thirty first of December. That's when people watch Great. television. That's when Nielsen and Oztam measure television consumption. And that's when advertisers buy our inventory. So there is no such thing as a non-survey period or a survey period. Fifty-two weeks a year.
2: Yeah, clients are active fifty-two weeks a year. There should be no off on it. But I would still argue networks do put repeat programming when the so-called mm. survey is off.
1: So why do we have it? I mean, I, I, traditionally, it's, to me, it's been like a it's been like a bit of a breathing space. Because you can't really run at full speed 52 weeks a year. You've got to give your talent a bit of a break. Not all the shows, you know, will fill the whole year. Is that justified anymore or should we just dump the survey and just say, look, we have do the best we can for 52 weeks?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think all of those... still of, there though, the survey. All of it. those things come into, come into play. We've got... No one has unlimited budgets to create local Australian content for 52 weeks of a year. So there is, there are going to be peaks and troughs across all across all networks, including including Foxtel. Um, but there is no such thing as a non-ratings period, unless Mel tells me, and then no, no, na- no, definitely <laughs> 100% not. Hundred
1: percent alignment. Yep. Well, you have you're on part owner of OzTam. You've got person on the board. Do you think that will change? I'm on. I'm a, I am a board Wait, member. You're the board member um, Where are we going?
0: from Nine on OzTam. I literally don't talk about. I've never spoken about it for. I can't remember the last time I would have mentioned survey period. Yeah. yeah. And so, we don't
2: operate on a survey period. We go by weeks. So I, the surveys are there and, yes, they um, Oztam does a, this is survey one and whatever the eight is across the year taking out the non-survey periods. But ultimately as an agency, we look at it for every week. So we do weeks one to 52 or 53. That And if we need to pull out a week because of event programming, that's what we do. We don't actually look at it from what the survey is.
1: Mm. I sort of get it, but I don't because it's still sort of there. The ratings year starts on a certain day. And
2: I think the one Um, thing I would say around that, we still have the measurement there and we still look at it weekly. Those periods that are non-survey technically are the lowest rating periods. That's when there's more people out and about. So there's less viewing. And I feel that's where it started from.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Michael, let's talk about the the size of your role these days. I mean, a year ago we would have been talking about television and your digital properties. There's a whole lot more now. Um, is your are you getting more money? Is it working as planned? Are you get, <laughs> I the, hope so. As Otherwise, the, I'm in real trouble. Has <laughs> the integration gone according to plan? And
0: um, yeah, so we the first day of our merged company was December the tenth. So we're literally four months in. Um, I think everything has gone as smoothly as it it could have. Of course, when you've got two such significant media companies coming together, there is a a lot of work being done, but there's a lot more work still to do. Um, From a sales point of view, we co-located our teams as quickly as we could around the country. So on January the 7th, when everybody returned back from summer break, we were all co-located in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth. So that was stage one. Stage two was completing our sales transformation, which we've now completely done. Uh, we have aligned teams in television and digital, in publishing. We've created a new team called Nine Plus to focus on the small to medium business market, and of course, Powd's the glue that brings that brings everything together. But it, what's been interesting is the strategy that we've had at Nine and the strategy that Fairfax had are almost one hundred percent aligned, which is create the greatest content whether that's video content, the written word, um, whether that's journalism, news, sport, entertainment, or lifestyle-based content, and distribute that across um, every single platform that you can to aggregate the greatest number of eyeballs, to engage audiences and advertisers. And that's what we've both been doing independently. So to bring the two companies together and kind of accelerate that strategy has been what Hugh and myself and the rest of the leadership group have have been focused on. Of course, the benefit to advertisers in doing that is you should be able to come to Nine now and, um, and have a conversation with us around creating a marketing platform for your, for your brand as opposed to coming and buying advertising from us. And if we can do that, I think we'll be really successful. We, we have proven media at the top of the funnel in television, in print, um, in magazines in terms of the NIMS. Of course, if you extend that more broadly, there's radio assets then, if you think about the middle of the funnel, which is all around consideration, we've got our addressable advertising product. We've got you know 13 to 14 million unique IDs across the entire business, from subs to nine now subscribers to stand to domain and everything else in the broader business, to deliver an addressable solution in the middle of the funnel, and then you use our performance-based advertising um, at the bottom of the funnel to deliver sales outcomes. So I think if, you know, for me, if you're an advertiser and you want to create a marketing platform, you can come to Nine, you can do all of those sort of things in a fairly seamless, uh, structured way. And then we can focus on delivering outcomes for, for, for advertisers in terms of business outcomes, which is where I spend most of my time thinking. So it's been, it's gone well and it's a super interesting place
1: to be. Let's ask one of Australia's biggest advertisers, how seamless it has been for them, um, Melissa, is is Michael and his team doing a better job of with the Fairfax assets than maybe Fairfax was doing alone?
2: Yeah, I'd say they are. Just it, they have, I guess, more in in general. So uh, as at nine, even before Fairfax, it was a really strong team that was in that sold the content and sold the partnerships, and Fairfax probably wasn't on the ground selling that broader picture. They still were more. I would say, spots and dots and, yeah, it coming into the fold as being part of nine, it has, whilst we haven't done a lot through the funnel, I do think it has gone in seamlessly that you know it's there, you've been made aware that you could actually pull it through into all of those elements.
1: There would seem to be opportunities to take the Fairfax brands and what you're getting, all the traditional nine and doing some massive big deals. I mean, will that happen? Has it happened a little bit, um, Michael?
0: Yeah, I, what's been interesting so far is, you know, we've done quite a number of, created quite a number of campaigns, for quite a number of brands across the entire portfolio of assets. But from an outsider, or if you think about it sort of logically, you'd kind of think that it would be a TV-led execution that would be amplified through digital and extended into publishing. But in actual fact, what's been Interesting about what we've done is in many cases, it's actually been the complete opposite. So take Good Weekend as an example. There's a a brand that we've partnered with, which I won't share right now, but there's a campaign coming up shortly whereby a brand that's kind of, we've created a campaign that's foundation is in Good Weekend. That clearly has a digital proposition, which is all um, created within one agnostic uh, solution and then we've extended good weekend into nine's broadcast. So, good weekend the brand will all of a sudden have a video presence and a television presence. So, in actual fact, we've gone from print into television as opposed to television into print. So, whatever the right asset mix is, sometimes it'll be all of them, sometimes it'll be two of them or three of them, and sometimes it'll be just a single a single um channel solution. So, we've got the flexibility to work across all and, you know, internally from a sales perspective, um, and external to the market, my communication's been, if it makes sense for us to come together, then we'll come together. If it ad- adds value to an, a brand or an advertiser and if it makes sense to stay apart, then stay apart. Mm. So the premise of the merger was built on, was not built on this revenue synergy upside, but
1: it will definitely be a byproduct of it. Melissa, well, so the... Revenue figures, the declining revenue figures for print over the years, both magazines and newspapers, indicates that it wasn't a very um, wasn't sought after by a lot of advertisers. They just thought, look, for whatever reason, we just don't want to be there. Does this change that at all? B- being able to wrap it up with other things, or is it still going to remain a no-go area? I think for for a lot of advertisers.
2: It's not necessarily a no-go. You base, Basically, you're developing your strategies based upon business needs, consumer targeting. So depending on where they lead to, you get to probably a channel role. And yes, if print plays a part, it plays a part. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And working with nine, and I would actually argue the data set that they've brought together gives us a lot of opportunity and probably leads a lot of the possible partnerships as well that takes it through all of the channels so that's what drives the selection uh, print and print is in decline I don't think I don't think it's going to change that because it is falling off and consumers aren't reading so it's one of the areas that isn't coming up when you're actually going and targeting a consumer however they may working with nine have the like a, the data play to say, this consumer is actually reading. So it could be considered them within the set because they've got that much data there to play around with and to do the targeting.
0: I, I, I mean, I, I agree and disagree. Um, if you have a look at, you know, our Saturday paper, last week there was 64 pages in our travel section in Traveller that, uh, last week travel
1: section is just huge now.
0: So in that category, as an example, but it's the same in finance, it's the same in retail. We've got, we've got print revenue that's growing at nine and I, I think we can continue, we can do a much better job of positioning what I would call proven media, um, television, publishing, radio, et cetera, et cetera, um, uh, in, the eyes of, in the eyes of advertisers because for all of the partners that we have, whether it was Tiffany on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald um, a week or so ago or indeed launching a major partnership with us through our publishing asset, both print and digital, mind you, um, I think there's loads of brands and loads of advertisers that are having delivering excellent business results as a result of investing into into that particular channel. We we as an industry, I think, can do a better job of marketing and researching and proving the impact that it has in terms of attribution and real sales outcomes than probably we have. And I think that's a, a huge opportunity for, for ourselves and news and Seven West to to align on on communicating that and 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 trade marketing that much more effectively
1: than we do today. Melissa, how's Nine stack up in the technology they're offering to agencies? So that was a big part of your upfront last year. Was was it the latest incarnation of Galaxy? Am I getting this right? Yep, Galaxy 2.0 yeah. to 4.0. There you go. So uh, how are they doing and how do they compare to, to what else, the alternatives out there?
2: Uh, so from a buying perspective on TV, Nine Galaxy in market is – is this definitely the strongest the uh, other networks are sort of just still in development I would say so they're not anywhere near where nine galaxy or developing when we're talking 2.0 to 4.0 <laughs> they're not any I don't think they're down the path um on that development either because they're still sort of getting the basic automation part set up and uh, nine are definitely ahead on on others
1: does that give them business does that Win them some business.
2: Uh, It definitely does because it's um, ultimately it is making the process a lot easier and smoother, and the guaranteed audience. The only thing is the watch out, and we sort of tread carefully. And at O and D, we sort of testing it. It's more around the impact that it has on rnf so because we're not we're relying on the thousands and it's making sure that we're still actually because we aren't seeing where the placement is specifically so it's just sort of making sure that it's not impacting rnf and if you're using just nine it's not so the off peak and the multi-channels it's not but once you get to a place that we're looking at using all three networks with automation we don't know where our spots are going to build and show that reach. So the discussion needs to be around how we, um, with our clients on what we're defining as reach, because I would say there's always going to be a role on buying your fixed inventory and that should be where you're delivering your reach and your fixed reach and that the clients know that they're picking up reach that way versus all of the other spots and dots that play a role.
1: If you could talk, uh, Steve-O, a little bit about your advertising to your, the streaming audience, the via Nine Now. Um, we heard from, um, Group M have a product they say is the only one in the market for addressable TV that, um, are they, are they, is that getting you any business? Are you getting some stuff through them and and generally how's that space going?
0: Yeah. So we launched our addressable TV product in August of last year. Um, Of course, we started by defining clearly what addressable television is, the ability to target um, a user across any device um, that is signed into your product. So the great benefit, obviously, that we have is um, a couple of years ago when we launched 9Now, we made it mandatory to sign into that particular product. We're just about to tip over 8 million signed-in users. That's not an insignificant number. Of course, we've got a a pretty um, impressive data infrastructure um, and that gives us the ability to target those eight million people when they're consuming Nine Now inside nights out, inside and outside of the home, and importantly on a connected TV. So that's what I'm talking about. That sort of that middle of the funnel advertising, that consideration piece. It's the very, very best of television combined with the very, very best of digital, and it's a it's a game changer. So it's a huge part of our ongoing strategy.
1: So Group M called it. Uh, I think it's Finecast. Do other agencies have um, options for their clients that they can can use? Yes, uh,
2: yeah. O- everyone is playing in that space. It's just um, it's within the agency versus setting up a separate agency. Yeah. So at, at OMD, it would be sitting still within the client teams and utilizing, I guess, our other um, specialist business units within OMD.
1: Right. And uh what Stevo said then about buying those audiences that are and their their bigger numbers in on demand and seven say they're getting some some big stuff too, ten players can continues to grow. Um this week has been doing very very well, I think, with Bachelor in Paradise. Um is, is that a, a bigger part of, of the business now? And as it do you group it all together or are they sort of separate buys?
2: It's <laughs> So it probably is a bit separate at the moment, but I believe it should be grouped together. And the addressable is, and it's because of where we're at with buying TV on a demographic, on the broader TV, on linear, a demographic, and on your addressable, you're actually getting to buying a consumer. There will come a day where they will come together and you'll be more focused on buying a consumer. And we can use the data to actually buy your fixed placement and programming um, based upon a consumer as well. But the ultimate measurement still comes back to a demographic if you're using, um, Nielsen. So it's a growing space. Uh, and yeah, I would say it's sort of slightly different cause you are buying a demographic on your broad reach TV linear, and then you on addressable, you're going after a consumer.
0: So uh, something- uh, I just think the, you know, the work that, um, seven, nine, 10 and Foxtel have done in Australia is more than impressive. And the work that OzTam are doing um, here in Australia as well around the development of Virtual Oz as a currency. So sometime, you know, launching progressively from July through to the end of the year, we'll launch the ability to measure the consumption of all of our content across linear, live streaming, and on demand, inside and outside of the house, um, which will give you on a national basis. So which will give you, give media buyers, give Mel and our clients, the ability to measure cross-platform reach and frequency for the very first time, we're literally leading the world when it comes to this type of measurement. In addition to that, there'll be a set number of audience segments, new car buyers, home loan and tenders, et cetera, et cetera, um, from an agreed set of data providers, so that as an industry we'll have um, 40 demographics, 30 to 40 audience segments, um, one currency measured from one source. That is that is that is a that is the biggest, that's a game changer. It's the, you know, I, I believe outside of going from black and white to colour, that's the next biggest, that's the biggest change in television we've seen for many, many, many years. So that is part one, part one of the future of TV. Of course, that doesn't mean anything unless you've got the technology to be able to buy it or sell it. And that's why we spoke about Galaxy earlier on. Galaxy 2.0, which we launched in February of this year, has all of our video on-demand inventory, has all of Nine NAS inventory, in Galaxy alongside Linear so that anyone in any agency can come to Nine from and buy from our television sales team, Linear TV and BVOD, all in one transaction delivered through our Playout Centre for Television and through Google Ad Manager for Video on Demand using all of our audiences. So oh, I think you know Australia is literally leading the world in terms of our technology and our alignment as an industry. What we do need, though, we need more advertisers to to kind of come with us and move with us so that we can continue to lead the way?
2: I think we definitely are leading the way. And it, one of the areas where, and I, I know Voz is coming, but I would question the actual metrics on it and it's still not like for like across all of the platforms and we're sort of working through that currently because our TV audience thousand in Sydney versus a BVOD thousand in the market and we're buying a consumer, I get that. So I still feel there's an education piece across the board that we have to do that if we're buying a consumer, that it's no longer an RNF in Sydney or an RNF in Melbourne. I think that's one part of it and, yes, leading the way. Also, clients want to use their own data and at the moment we're talking about having these audience segments set up but most clients have their own first-party data that they actually want to go and utilise and match so they know if they're targeting an existing customer, whether they're targeting a new customer. So those elements as well. And don't get me wrong, I know we're going to get there, but that to me is where we should be aiming to get to. And I think that still is a um, little bit off.
0: I think there's great danger in overcomplicating it. Mm. So if an advertiser wants to bring their data, they can do that, but it's not the currency. So there's great, great, you know, the the great benefit of of today's television is it continues to be the safest place, the most effective place um, and the place where you can generate the greatest amount of scale and reach quickly. That's never changed. And when we go into a world where we bring in virtual laws or some sort of level of greater targeting outside of an age and sex demographic, it still must be broad by definition because targeting someone to within an inch of their life, we're literally better off going and putting a tab on the bar at the local pub. Like we need to, we need to meet, reach mass audiences at scale to deliver the most effective outcome. And don't get me wrong. I think, you know, Mel and, and all, of, all of our major clients are doing a great job in, try, in driving the way, but we've got to go quicker because, and we've got to simplify it. Because if we, don't, that, if we, we don't do that, we literally disappear down a rabbit hole and we'll go nowhere. So we've got to move quickly.
1: All right, we've got to move quickly here too. Look, let's um, wrap this up, talk a little bit about the outlook for this year. Mel, from what we've seen in Q1, is that going to affect ad spend for the rest of the year, do you think? And will it be very different to, say, last year? I
2: feel, so at the moment, I'm surprised it feels that the market is softer than what we were expecting. It was interesting seeing more so than anything the out-of-home numbers, year on year, because they've been in growth in some months, uh, like they're nearly at double digits for the last couple of years. So I was quite surprised to see those numbers. And I think that is a sign that we're probably, I don't think we're going to be seeing the growth to where we were were originally expecting, because I would have thought we had sort of TV at sort of 1% or 2% growth, especially in Metro, probably regional and um, subscription TV, maybe a little bit flatter or even a little bit negative. out of home, we still had it in growth, radio we had in growth. And I think the, the results that we've seen just over these last couple of months is a sign. So I don't, I would sort of say, I don't think the growth as an example in outer home is going to be what we thought it would be. I think TV is going to be relatively flat now, um, year on year. The demand is still there, so I'm not saying it's going to be um, going backwards, but I just don't think it's probably where we thought it was going to be. In.
1: And regarding allocation of TV money, do you think Nine will will demand a, a bigger share? That,
2: <laughs> they are or? already demanding a bigger <laughs> share, mean, no, so well, <laughs> I don't think there's anything well, new there. I, I
1: guess, I mean, yeah. Will, will they get a bigger share than, than maybe last year and...
2: I'm sure they're hoping to, and I would predict yes, based upon if they can continue the momentum they're on, yes.
1: steve how can you keep that momentum going? I'd like to
0: thank Mel for her support. <laughs> oh, I mean, our I've plan, been our, very our,
2: supportive.
0: <laughs> our plan is to, com- you know, I think from a content perspective, we've got a whole heap of really interesting stuff coming up. I have every expectation that we'll continue to dominate the ratings, both in share and thousands. Um, what I can't control or what none of us can control is the market. Mm. Obviously, I'm optimistic post-federal election that things return to normality and, and um, the market settles down a little bit. But what I find interesting about this and it's why I'm so excited right now is because through challenging times comes massive opportunity for those that are willing to take it. So we've got the right asset, we've got the right content, we've got the right data strategy, we've got the right technology. Um, it's now up to us to create really big ideas for brands to leverage all of the content and the assets that we have. And if we can do that, then our destiny is in our own
1: hands. Should ask you one quick one. We've seen a big campaign by regional media players called Boomtown. First, Michael, could we expect a similar campaign from uh, Metro players about look, keep your money in Metro. It works better for you.
0: Uh, I'm not. I don't work. see that campaign as Metro versus regional. In actual fact, I or well, you I, think it's an advertising I spoke to pitch Brian there. yesterday to say congratulations I think that is I think it's an awesome campaign it looks fantastic it's the right message I think people should invest more into regional Australia and they should take that money off Facebook and Google mm. they should they should invest where they can get the best possible return on their investment and I think all of the guys that are representing regional assets have done a brilliant job of coming together and creating a platform for advertisers in another part of Australia I think it's
1: brilliant What's the thoughts about I, I the regional?
2: I would agree. I agree totally. I think it's uh, way underinvested in, and it has been um, probably declining. I would say for over the last four or five years, the regional is sort of the first place that people go to think. Yes, they're cutting budgets to go and do other things, whether it is Facebook or Google. But I think that, that this is a great campaign, and it should reinvigorate why regional is such an important part of your overall marketing.
1: And do you think we'll see the regional investment creep higher?
2: I would like Uh, to think so, yeah, based on that and making sure they're getting out and getting the message out to marketers.
1: Well, it's good news for those regional guys. All right, um, Melissa Hay, Michael Stevenson, great uh, having you both in today, sharing your expertise on um, television and the wider ad market. So thanks for joining Media Week.
2: Thank you. Thanks, James.